Hi, you're listening to the first episode of Bottlenecks, the new podcast by the UBC Supply Chain and Operations Association, or SCOA. Our goal is to educate and inform you about the different supply networks, both in Canada and around the world, that are the backbone of commerce in the 21st century. How did COVID-19 spotlight the future of large-scale supply chains? Under what conditions are cocoa beans harvested in Africa and South America to then make the chocolate on your supermarket shelf? And why did the July wildfires in Northeast British Columbia halt trade across Canada? If these are questions you're interested in, you're tuned into the right place. I'm your host, Joseph Lyons, and this is Bottlenecks. In our pilot episode, we look at how businesses handled their supply chains during the global event that, as of September 2021, is still a present force. And of course, I'm talking about the COVID-19 pandemic. We look at businesses at large, but also at how small businesses, specifically restaurants, survived. So if you're a university student studying in Canada right now, you're probably going back to school for the first time since February of 2020, when we first realized that COVID-19 is in Canada and it might be a problem. I asked a few of my classmates how they were feeling about going back to school amidst these very strange times. So, um, are you excited to be back on campus? Well, I'm pretty excited to meet everyone who I didn't see during the school year. I mean, after like a year and a half of online classes, I finally get to see my friends again and learn to socialize. After a year of online school, I think, yeah, it's about time. I think it's been a really long time since we've consistently been in contact with people. So it'd be nice to see friends. Are you worried at all about going back to, um, back to campus, like post-COVID? Or, you know, we're not even fully out of COVID? Me personally, yes. I was, I'm like, I was freaked out at the beginning of COVID. Um, and I was like one of those first people to wear masks on campus. So I'm definitely really hesitant about coming back on campus because um, ev- like not everyone is vaccinated and uh, there's still like variants going around too, which haven't been dealt with. The consensus is that it's really nice to be able to go back to in-person classes, but it also makes us really nervous. But really, that's a student opinion. Let's see how professors feel. Uh, I am looking forward to being back uh, in the classroom. That's Professor Harish Krishnan in the Operations and Logistics Division at the UBC Sauter School of Business. I, I felt that uh, you know, teaching on Zoom, uh, although it was effective uh, in many ways, I, I'm looking forward to being back in the classroom. But I am a bit nervous about, uh, you know, with this pandemic, things can change very quickly. So. Uh, there is some nervousness as well, but on balance, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to being back in the classroom. I started by asking Harish the most obvious, most general question one could ask. How did businesses react to COVID-19? So, um, I mean, it's clear that, you know, COVID was quite a shock, um, but some um, people have commented on the fact that, 
you know, what COVID did was that it accelerated um, trends that were already, um, you know, gaining steam over the last decade. You know, people have been concerned about um, supply chain risk and disruption and so on, even pre-COVID. If you're new to the term, a supply chain disruption is a type of supply chain risk where a supply chain is radically and unexpectedly transformed through unavailability of any kind of production, warehousing, distribution, or transportation options. But I think COVID was unique in uh, in that most of the past concerns about supply chain risk was around disruption of supply. Uh, for example, you know maybe like the Japanese earthquake disrupted uh, components for the auto industry, or you know what if there is um, you know some disruption in, in, in Taiwan, or uh, you know there were floods in Thailand and that disrupted the computer industry. So there was a lot of uh, concern about disruptions of supply. But I think what COVID did was, it was not just a disruption of supply, but it also affected demand patterns. So uh, people's uh, patterns of consumption changed very suddenly. So, you know, to take uh, the the classic example of COVID, it was the the toilet paper case, which is that, you know, suddenly uh, people were using a lot more sort of home use toilet paper and a lot less like, you know, office use toilet paper. And the supply chain for these two products are, are different. You have different uh, equipment and uh, so on producing these these different products. And so it was not surprising that um, you know, there was this uh, this uh, disruption because suddenly you know supply chains were required to uh, provide you know forty percent more home use toilet paper, and that doesn't happen overnight because these supply chains are designed to be very sort of lean and so on. What Harish means when he calls a supply chain lean is that the production process values efficiency, especially in time and materials cost. But this supply chain setup typically trades off on agility, or how easily a supply chain responds to change. Uh, and so I think you see some of the same things in, say, the the, the computer chip examples, uh, where you know there's much more demand for certain kinds of electronics. And so uh, that's been drawing away a lot of the capacity. And uh, so this is uh, this is creating shortages uh, elsewhere. Um, so two things to summarize. Uh, I think COVID uh, accelerated some existing sort of trends or highlighted some existing shortcomings in supply chains, but it also posed some very unique uh, challenges like, you know, sudden changes in, you know, demand for certain products. Um, And so uh, those changes have been kind of rippling through um, the supply chains and, you know, things are still not fully settled. But overall, you know, I think the challenges were were met. There were, there's still, I think, ongoing challenges, Uh, but supply chain did prove to be able to sort of deal with uh, a lot of the the challenges that COVID posed, but going forward, you know, supply chains are going to have to adapt and change uh, to ensure that uh, you know they are better prepared for sort of future or ongoing issues that will come up with managing supply chains. Remember the story of the computer chips and the toilet paper? Well, if you study supply chain or logistics, you know that these are textbook examples of the bullwhip effect. If you don't know, that's when a downstream member of the supply chain gets a big order thinks it means future demand is going to be huge and orders a really big quantity from their supplier. 
that supplier does the same thing, expecting a huge rise in demand and orders a ton from their supplier. This might continue all the way up the chain, creating bigger and bigger demand distortions, ultimately creating a ton of waste. It was early in the pandemic, computer chip manufacturers cut back because they were worried about, uh, okay, maybe, you know, maybe demand's going to dry up. But then demand actually surged for certain types of uh, electronic home use, electronic products. And so, you know, they cut back at the same time demand surged. And so I think you're seeing that bulb effect in, in the computer chip example as well. So how do companies mitigate the bulb effect? And if you go back to sort of the classroom, you know, ways of kind of dealing with the, the bullwhip effect, you know, information sharing, uh, you know, shorter lead times, etc., are um, are sort of the, 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 the classic ways and also preventing like unnecessary um, variability through promotions and so on. Um, and so, uh, I mean, I think companies have certainly you know, tried to do a lot better in terms of information sharing and so on. Lead times are always a challenge. Uh, sometimes lead times are out of your control, like you saw with the, um, uh, you know, the Suez Canal incident, uh, where suddenly, you know, companies that were expecting lead times of, you know, a week uh, would face much longer lead times. I, 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 I think it's a constant challenge to, you know, ensure that you don't kind of uh, fall victim to, you know, the bullwhip effect. And I think companies have recognized and have done more, uh, but, you know, like we see in the, say, computer chip example or the toilet paper example, you know, sometimes there just are these shocks and it's kind of hard to, uh, uh, to, to, to react to that, especially when supply chains are designed, say, the toilet paper example, because people don't want to pay, you know, they don't want to pay for all that excess inventory. And so supply chains are very lean and maybe long lead times because it's a very cost-focused supply chain. Uh, and so that's much more susceptible to, um, uh, to things like, uh, you know, the bullwhip when there is a, a shock to the system. I also asked Harish what he thought the future is going to be after COVID. You know, are businesses going to look back at everything that happened and are they, how are they going to learn from it? Well, according to Harish, it's not that simple. Yeah, I mean, I think there is maybe a little bit of a, a risk of, um, you know, companies maybe overreacting to, you know, the, the lessons of COVID and becoming, you know, I, th I think there is a place for, uh, for 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 lean and cost-focused supply chains. I mean, supply chains have, uh, over the last few decades, played a huge role in sort of keeping you know costs low. Yes, there have maybe there have been problems with maybe uh, that has led to some sort of bad decisions upstream and uh, so on. But I think supply chains have uh, uh, been quite instrumental in um, you know keeping costs low and in reaction to that if uh, in reaction to COVID if, if companies kind of go too far in the other direction uh, then there may be some sort of inflationary type pressures and you see that already right a little bit uh, so I think companies certainly should adjust uh, and uh, you know adapt uh, uh, I think the supply chains of you know 10 or 20 years ago are not the supply chains that are needed going forward. Uh, the situation is different. You know, companies care much more about sort of 
risks of various kinds and need to be aware of their carbon footprint and so on. So supply chains will definitely change and adapt. Uh, the question is whether they might go too far in, you know, uh, building too much inventory buffer or not being lean enough and therefore adding too many costs. Uh, but that's uh, uh, that's that's to be seen how how, how companies uh, react and adapt. But what what would be a, a consequence of that overreaction? Um, I, I I think adding costs to me uh, from the consumer perspective is is the big one. So if there is a move away from lean with more inventory in the supply chains and more production or more supplier diversification and maybe more production closer to uh, markets. All of this will add costs, and you know that will eventually be borne by by consumers. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. There are good reasons that some of those changes should probably occur. It's just a question in my mind as to whether the balance will be uh, people will get the balance right. We'll come back to Harish in the end, but now let's take a short break. This year, our team has planned a range of exciting events for students interested in a career in supply chain or operations and logistics, including industry tours and networking events. To stay up to date on all of our upcoming events, follow us on Instagram at ubc.scoa and like UBC Supply Chain and Operations Association on Facebook and LinkedIn. As we learned from Harish, businesses were very affected by COVID. But I was also especially curious about how restaurants handled the pandemic. I got the chance to speak with Minji, whose parents own and operate the Asian fusion restaurant EMW, or East Meets West, in the city of Langley. Because my dad used to own a business, um, another restaurant actually, and he's a total mix of ethnicities. So he's like, he's Chinese, he's Vietnamese, Cambodian and my mom is Korean. Um, and so he took all those like flavors and created a menu that kind of suited all those palettes, all those flavor palettes. EMW also does bubble tea. And then we took over a bubble tea place, like the place that we renovated used to be a bubble tea place. So we decided to incorporate that as well. So that's kind of a little background about us. Like I mentioned earlier, EMW is operated by Minji's parents, but she's been involved with the restaurant for a long time. Yeah, uh, I was maybe 17 when the restaurant opened, so I was more than capable of working. Um, so since it opened, I've been working um, pretty consistently at the restaurant. Were, were things going well before COVID hit? I would say so. Um, yeah, we we have a really uh, loyal, I want to say, customer base. Um, typically, we don't get a lot of new customers, I would say, because everyone has known us basically since we've opened or since my dad's previous restaurant. So, um, yeah, we, we were doing pretty well before COVID, I would say. It should go without saying that um, restaurants were among those industries that were hit the hardest as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. In British Columbia, dining in was first banned in March of 2020. Then later in May, restaurants reopened, but in November, gatherings were banned again. It was rough, I would say, especially the first six months. Um, I would say maybe we took possibly like a 60% hit in sales. 
um, especially the first few months. And then it started picking up again uh, once we started going on like Uber Eats and like skip the dishes and stuff. Um, but in the beginning, yeah, I think everyone was struggling there for a bit because people were scared to like go out, um, pick up food, buy groceries, like everything was, you know, um, everyone was scared to do everything. How are things now? Now things are pretty good. Um, I would say it's actually gotten busier um, because we've been on the apps, like the Skip the Dishes and Uber Eats for a while now. Um, and so we are getting business from that as well as our usual takeout and eat in. Um, and I feel like people are going out more these days too because restrictions were just lifted. So I think people are in like a going out mode mode so um i think our sales are increasing overall right now do you, yeah. do you think you're back to pre-covid levels yet um i would say so yeah i would say so um i think our lower days are lower than before but i think um overall we're we're back to normal during the pandemic when people weren't allowed to dine in at restaurants one of the main ways people ordered food was through delivery apps like Skip the Dishes and Uber Eats, both of which EMW is on. When did you join those two apps? We joined right in the beginning stages of the pandemic. So I would say maybe um, a month in the, the lockdown. So I think we joined around late March, early April. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because it was just another means of getting sales. And uh, people, I think during those times, especially ordered a lot of um, like delivery services. So we thought we would hop on that trend and um, join early. For a small business like EMW, it was important for them to be visible on apps like Skip the Dishes. But inevitably, using such services came with a cost. Um, the way that Uber Eats or a lot of um, like DoorDash, Skip, the way they work is typically when they approach a restaurant and they want you to be on their delivery service, which is what happened to us, um, they'll offer you uh, some sort of a deal for the first month or two months that you're with them. So they'll say, um, we'll, we'll take 15% of your sales the first two months. And then after the 15, you're being jumped up to 25 to 30%. Um, so overall, um, typically I've heard the range is anywhere from 20 to 35% for restaurants. Um, they're taking that much of your sales. Um, and in the beginning um, of COVID, we just took the hit. Um, we kept all our prices the same on Uber Eats and Skip. Um, it didn't matter because the only thing that mattered to us was that people wanted to get our food. And if it means that we're taking a hit for a bit, that's, that was fine for us. Um, but now that we're coming out of COVID and we need to get our sales up, um, and I, I'm seeing this on a lot of other restaurants as well, but um, many restaurants, including ours, have raised um, our prices just on the rates and skip. Um, not the whole 30%, but just a few dollars here and there um, so that it's like a 50-50 between the customer and us of paying this fee that goes towards um, Uber Eats. So how does Minji herself feel about these delivery apps? Turns out it's kind of mixed. 
yeah, I mean, it sucks that they're taking uh, a good percentage of of our of our sales, and um, also, you know, the restaurant doesn't get tipped. So whoever's working the waitress, they wouldn't get tipped. Um, but on so that kind of that aspect um, kind of sucks. Well, it sucked more during COVID because we weren't making sales. Um, but also it was something that kept us afloat during a difficult time. And so I, I can't help but be thankful about it. But, you know, there are aspects to it that were negative um, during COVID for sure. So there are, there are pros and cons. But yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know the pros and cons of it now because we are getting an equal amount of like eat-ins and takeout. So can't really complain. But during COVID, it was hard. Do you think that's like the future of the way people interact with restaurants? Um, it's hard to say because like I I don't think so because a lot of people do enjoy like the restaurant experience, like being served, looking at a menu, like eating in, um, like not doing dishes at home, stuff like that. Like people do. I know people like the restaurant experience, but maybe that's for higher end restaurants as well because you know as like a smaller. Um, hole in the wall family business type of deal like I don't know if people really come to us for the experience so I'm I'm not too sure about that actually going back to what Harish and I talked about EMW faced demand disruptions because of provincial regulations and people wanting to save money due to uncertainty in the early stages of the pandemic but there were also some supply side disruptions to first understand them though, we need to know what procurement looks like for a restaurant like EMW. So it's a mix. It's a mix of suppliers and a mix of just shopping around. We order um, our meats um, from, from a company um, as well as our like takeout containers. I think there are very specific vegetables that that we order um, from some from suppliers like mushrooms, I think, and bean sprouts and stuff like that. But for the most part, most of our vegetables come from stores like Superstore, Costco. Um, we struggled for a bit during COVID because we get so, so we get our chicken specifically from a supplier, and then we get our pork and beef from Costco. Um, the problem with that though was there was a period in time in COVID where beef was like ridiculously expensive like during covid there was a covid breakout at one of like the farms i guess i i'm not sure entirely what happened but beef was really expensive at a point so we couldn't sell it and and i do believe that all the food prices have gone up from pre-covid and so uh definitely it's gotten more expensive but it didn't change our relationship with our suppliers or anything like that because my dad had been working with um our suppliers for a while so there wasn't a, a shift in the relationship at all mostly it was just like grocery shopping that that was a little bit more difficult and more expensive like what do you want uh the future to look like do you want things to kind of go back to normal for your parents restaurant or do you want to see some something new in the way like people interact with your parents restaurant uh that's a big question i don't know because i've been really um 
like I've closely been involved with my parents' restaurant and I personally really like enjoy talking to our customers and you know having them dine in and most of them like a lot of them have known me since I was little too so um I it would be sad if like they weren't coming in and like we weren't catching up every once in a while or like my parents were catching up with them once in a while um because I would say like again our customer base has been really uh loyal super kind um they feel like friends as well so um that in that sense like I don't want things to change but I could definitely see after COVID there's a lot more takeout that's undeniable um and so I could definitely see it shifting towards um being more takeout oriented um, and more delivery service oriented because we never thought we would get this many sales on Uber Eats and and skip the dishes. Um, so there's definitely a change. We're noticing a change. Um, I don't know if it's a positive one or a negative one yet, but yeah. Any last words you want to say? Um. No, just I guess like a thank you because I know a lot of people were supporting small businesses during COVID and ours was definitely one of them. So I just wanted to like thank people who supported small businesses. It meant a lot. Let's go back to Harish. Yeah, so, um, you know, like we discussed, I mean, certainly companies need to respond to the challenges that COVID posed. And as I said, you know, these some of these challenges predate COVID, right? So there has been there have been concerns about supply chain risk and resilience and you know the the changing sort of maybe backlash against uh, globalization to some extent, then you know, trade wars and so on. Uh, so companies do need to sort of react to all of this. Uh, I think companies will react by um, trying to become more resilient uh, in many ways, whether this is adding more inventory or, you know, reshoring production, maybe not relying so much on production, uh, which is, you know, very far from from their markets and so on. I think another uh, trend that's going to happen is uh, a much greater focus on supply chain visibility. I think what COVID made clear was that, you know, lots of firms didn't have much visibility into their supply chain. They didn't know where, uh, you know, products that they, uh, inputs that they rely on were, were coming from. And so I think uh, companies are going to invest much more in, in visibility. Uh, and, you know, this would mean sort of a greater adoption of, uh, you know, more sort of digital uh, technologies. And there's been a lot of interest in uh, uh, technologies like blockchain. Uh, and so I think, uh, you know, there's certainly going to be innovations in terms of, uh, you know, how companies um, uh, gain greater visibility into their supply chains. And I think that that's going to be uh, a positive. So that might be a way in which companies can have much greater, uh, by having more visibility, have more control and be less susceptible to, uh, to, uh, to you know, disruptions or shocks, uh, with, while at the same time, you know, not really adding too much in terms of uh, inventory or other uh, quote unquote waste into the supply chain. Um, so, so I think those would be some of uh, some of what I expect we'll see going forward.
podcast team at UBC SCOA consists of myself, Joshua Barlin, Karis Chan, Arena Garasimova, Catherine Jang, and Margaret Shen. This episode wouldn't have been possible without their help, input, and research. We sincerely thank you for slotting the time in your day to listen to our first episode, and we hope you'll follow us on whatever platform you're using to listen to us to get the latest episodes. Please also follow us on Instagram at ubc.scoa and on Facebook and LinkedIn at UBC Supply Chain and Operations Association. If you would like to share any feedback about the podcast with us, please feel free to email us at ubcscoa at gmail.com.